Nick knelt and placed his right thumb in his mouth and bit down until he could no longer bear the pain, and then reached for the marshal's neck and felt for a pulse. As Nick suspected, the marshal was already dead. His assault rifle was nowhere to be seen. As he rose to his feet, Nick felt the concrete tremble beneath his feet, and a fresh wave of fear and nausea washed over him. Gazing up, he saw the windows of the buildings across the street shedding more glass, watched the roofs shake back and forth and begin to crumble. Above the alarms and sirens, he heard screams of terror rise from the shadows. Unlike the tremors before, this one shot up in intensity in seconds and knocked Nick down the cracked concrete stairs. At the bottom of the steps, he rolled to a stop and buried his head beneath his arms. As he waited out the tremor, Nick tried to remember everything he'd been taught about surviving earthquakes while growing up in California. He'd already covered his head and face with his arms to protect himself from the shards of flying glass from blown-out windows. If it weren't for Lauren, he'd have been safer staying inside the courthouse and standing in a doorway or ducking under a sturdy desk or into a closet. But he had no idea where the epicenter was, and he had to do whatever it took to get to his daughter as quickly as possible. He had to know she was safe, and more important, she needed to know that he was. Now that he was outside, Nick needed to move as far out into the open as possible to remain clear of falling material. No easy feat on a New York City block crowded with skyscrapers, and there was a tremendous fissure in the center of the street. If he got too close to the middle, he'd be sucked in and swallowed like the dozens of other people who'd been outside the courthouse when the first tremor hit. As the ground shook beneath him, Nick chanced a glance up at the street. He'd be safer in a car, of course, but only if he kept the car glued to one spot, and he had no intention of staying downtown, not while Lauren was helpless somewhere on the Upper West Side. The tremor suddenly stopped. Nick tried to discern how long each quake had lasted, no more than a minute or two apiece, he was sure. All right, he thought. What else was I told as a kid? Earthquakes were psychologically devastating. It was crucial to remain calm and composed. Panic led individuals to take unnecessary and dangerous actions. Panic during an earthquake got people killed. Nick waited a few extra moments before rising to his feet. He didn't know whether these tremors were aftershocks or the real thing. Hell, for all Nick knew, these tremors could be merely a preface to the big one. He looked at his hands and saw that they were covered in dried blood. He wiped them as best he could against his suit jacket and then felt along his forehead. When he stared down at his hands again, they were colored with fresh blood. He was bleeding and already feeling lightheaded. He needed to stop the flow before he lost too much blood and passed out. Nick quickly undid the knot in his tie and yanked it out from under his shirt collar. The tie was red. It was one of his favorites. His wife, Sarah, had given it to him for his birthday back in 2000. It was one of the last presents he'd ever received from her. He placed the tie across his forehead and pulled it tight before tying it off at the back of his head. That would at least staunch the blood flow, he thought, and keep the blood from streaming into his eyes. He was sweating and wanted to remove his suit jacket, but he had no idea what hell lay before him. The jacket might come in handy later, so he decided to hold on to it. He dusted himself as best he could. As he did, he felt around in his pockets. 
He carried no handkerchief and knew that his search was in vain, but he needed something to cover his nose and mouth to keep out what dust and debris that he could. Finally, he turned up his collar and pulled it up over his face as far as possible. Visibility was next to nothing, so he listened intently for sounds. He could hear cries for help, but they were either far away or muffled by the rubble. Limping, he moved in the direction of the closest sound he heard. As badly as he needed to get to Lauren, if there were survivors here, he had a duty to stay and help them. As he moved, gravel crunched under his feet. At several points the crunching ceased, and he knew he was traversing over poster board signs protesting the U.S. Attorney General's decision to try Feroz Said Alivi in a civilian court in the United States.